Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Jason Bradwell. Jason, as well as being a senior marketing leader in the B2B tech space, also publishes his own podcast, B2B Better, where he interviews marketers on the tactics and strategies to help scale up marketing teams do better than boring work. So I think we're in for a treat. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors podcast, Jason. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm very well. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with B2B marketing. Yeah, it's a funny story. And like many marketers, I certainly didn't set out at the crest of my career thinking that I was going to end up as a B2B marketing director and host of a B2B marketing podcast. I actually went and studied theater at university for three years before leaving and doing the stereotypical thing for a struggling artist and just taking whatever job I possibly could, which was in sales for a technology consultancy. Started writing for the blog for that company, transitioned into PR and then transitioned to marketing and ended up where I am today. And as I mentioned, I'm the marketing director for a global B2B enterprise technology company that works in the sport and media sector. And also in my spare time, I run a podcast called B2B Better and a newsletter called The B2B Byte. Awesome. Well, I thought it was just recruiters that ended up in recruitment without wishing to be in it, but it sounds like marketers do as well. (laughs) You talk about your podcast, you've obviously spoken to a lot of marketeers through the years. How hard is it being a standalone marketer or a small marketing team than in today's B2B landscape? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's equal parts tough and easy. And I know that's the worst response you can give, which is kind of the both answers. It's tough because there are just so many things that you can do today as a marketer. And there are so many channels that you can go out there and you can activate very easily. But that's also what makes it easy. You know, I remember when I started my career in B2B marketing, pretty much all the partners and companies I was working with or adjacent to marketing contain basically a sponsorship of a big global event with a big booth every single year and sending out the odd press release when you had a story to tell. And that was it. Whereas nowadays, marketing is everything from uh, social, community, digital content, and all of these kind of things have a relatively low barrier to entry. If you are a startup that's trying to get your marketing machine going, you don't need to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds anymore in booking out a big trade show booth and that being the only way you can get in front of new customers. You can start a newsletter. You can get your CEO posting on social media. You can start a Slack group with your target buyers. And all of that, the effort's immense to get that going and actually see success. But anyone can do that. You don't need a huge budget behind you to get that going. So I'd say for marketers today, if you are a solo marketer working in a B2B marketing startup, it can be equal parts tough and easy. But your real challenge is cut through. And Mm -hmm. how do you compete with those bigger, more well-funded organizations? The tools are there, but what's the strategy that's going to cut through the noise? There are so many things that you can do almost as a sort of standalone marketeer, where do you actually start? The phrase is sort of paralysis by analysis, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you can actually not move forward on anything because you're thinking about doing everything and all the options open to you. I mean, I'm keen for this to be super actionable for marketers in this situation. So let's imagine we're a standalone marketer in a new job with an ambitious startup. What should they focus on first then? 
I actually wrote an article about this a couple of months ago as how I would spend the first 90 days building a marketing strategy within a startup. And really for me, it kind of breaks down into three phases. The first is just doing research. You really should not be doing any quote unquote marketing until you truly understand the market in which your company is operating in the product or service that your company is selling and the customers that hopefully are spending a lot of money in acquiring that product. You need to dig deep until you see daylight. Now, I like to think of it if an encyclopedia was written on your company, they'd be coming to you to author it. And what you're trying to get to grips on really is what is the problem that your company solves and who is it for? And why is it better than anything else out there on the market? And once you've figured those three things out, the what, the who, and the why, only then should you really start to put pen to paper on how you're actually going to get it out there in front of people. And that's almost pulling on that sort of product marketing piece then, isn't it? You know, as a solo marketeer, I guess you've got to have lots of different skill sets. But if I was to sort of classify that bit, then that's that product marketing angle itself. Absolutely, 100%. I think it's very tempting for kind of new marketers to go into a business and just wanting to get some stuff out there. And particularly if you've got an executive team or a CEO who wants to see immediate results, that pressure can be immense to just post on social media or sponsor a partner report or whatever. And that kind of product marketing piece, as you put it, is fundamental to nail right at the very beginning, because ultimately it's going to underpin your ability to evaluate how successful the campaigns that you eventually decide to run is going to be. Once you've finished on that research stage, for me, the next step is going into what I call funnel mapping. So understanding what the marketing funnel looks like for your customers. And without having this knowledge of exactly how a customer moves through that journey from awareness to conversion, you risk spreading your budget and your effort across just a jumble of different things that ultimately deliver little, if any, meaningful results. So your goal as a new marketer within a startup is to get a grasp on exactly where your customers are engaging with not just your company, but with the industry and the problems that you're trying to solve, how they evaluate the solutions to those problems and what is going to convince them to go ahead and make a purchase. Only then, once you've kind of got that understanding of exactly where your customers are spending time and where they're doing this evaluation, can you start to map that information against what should be quite a simple marketing funnel at the beginning mm. that ultimately guides where you choose to invest your budget. And those three stages for me when I'm in a new company are quite simple, awareness, engagement, and conversion. So awareness, getting a customer to a point where they understand they have a problem and what that solution to that problem could be, and that your company is one that potentially could solve it to them, whether now, if they have that problem or in the future. Engagement, where you get them into a series of kind of nurture activities, you're maintaining a kind of top of mind approach so that at the point where they do eventually become in market, they're coming to you rather than the other way around. And then conversion, when they put their hand up, they've got that high intent and they say, okay, time is now ready for us to talk. Mm. What's the best way to find out that sort of information? And would you think about interviewing customers? Would you think about talking to the sales team? In my experience, working predominantly in enterprise B2B, where the total customer base is small but high value and where there isn't a huge amount of scale in terms of individuals, you know, searching for things on Google or visiting your website or things like that, 
it can be quite difficult almost to start with the customer, which sounds kind of counterintuitive to any marketing research approach that you hear about. So I like to start with sales personally in that kind of enterprise sales context, Mm. because one, they're going to be the gatekeepers to getting access to a potential customer or existing customer in terms of your personal relationship with them. But two, you know, they are just going to have a fountain of wisdom that you can tap in what they're seeing in the space, what customers are asking for in their RFPs and other pieces that you can ultimately apply to your marketing strategy. I did a really interesting interview the other day on my podcast with Breezy Beaumont, who's a growth marketer. And we talked a little bit about this. And one of the questions I asked her was, what do you do when you're kind of at a brand new company and you don't even have any customers yet? Mm it's a cold start, right? And she said something to me, which really resonates that I want to mention here, which is that sometimes you just got to trust your gut and your intuition and almost that you need to put yourself into places where you almost expect customers are going to be firm in the knowledge that you may be wrong. And it's about taking those calculated intuitive bets right at the very start. It's almost like a scientific approach. And I do think marketing is a little bit like science in a way. If you were a scientist, you would start with a hypothesis. This is what I think. And that resonates with what you're talking about there, really, is having that starting point. Well, based on my experience, my knowledge, my intuition, whatever it might be, this is what I think. Let's go out there and test it. Let's see where it goes from there. Exactly right. Exactly right. The third stage to that first 90 days and the third and final stage is once you've done your research, once you've done your funnel mapping, I like to then move into what I call campaign planning. And this is more of your bread and butter marketing. Your goal at this point is really to validate a hypothesis to your point earlier about experimentation. I like to map out a three-month campaign versus a full-year campaign. It's very likely in doing that, you're going to learn something that will then impact what the next quarter is going to look like. And I structure those campaigns against what I call my ABCDE framework, where on a piece of paper, I basically outline five things, my audience, who it is that I'm going after, my belief or the message that I'm trying to convey, the creative that I need to produce, where that creative is going to be distributed. And then finally, what is the end objective? What is it that I'm going to be measuring at the end of all of this to identify whether it's been a success or not? Mm. And that's just a really kind of simple framework that any startup marketer can pull together in half an hour to an hour on one page and share with their executive team and give them a point of alignment to say, you know, here it is what we're trying to do. Here's how we're going to measure it. Here's who we're going after. Here's what we expect to see at the end of it. And I've just found it a very useful mechanism, particularly when you're starting out in a new role to get that level of alignment to ensure that you're not going off in 101 different directions. Plus, you want to make an impact, don't you? So actually having that three-month timeline, I think, is a really good idea because the people you're talking to are going to see something at the end of it. And I think as a person sort of landing in that sort of role, the key thing to you is actually getting in there and showing something, getting some output going and you know, making something happen, really. So once all that sort of foundational work then is done, you obviously talked a little bit about that planning structure itself for the sort of three-month campaign. How do you sort of decide on which channels to use, a sort of general go-to-market? You know, what kind of things do you typically sort of measure off the back of that? It's a really interesting one. And it's going to obviously differ based on the company and the business objectives. And every marketing campaign should be laddering up into the wider company objectives be they financial or otherwise. There's a lot of talk at the moment in kind of marketing circles that 
revenue should be the kind of be all and end all when it comes to determining marketing success. And I don't argue with that. I think any function within a business in some way or another is contributing to the financial health of that business. But in my experience, it's sometimes difficult to draw that through line between what it is we're doing within marketing and how it's having a direct impact on the bottom line and kind of joining those two dots and understanding that full story. Mm. And that could be because in a startup, depending on your sales cycles, you may not see those immediate results. It may not be a case of you publish a blog post supported by a paid ad campaign and suddenly you're getting free trial signups. You may have a much longer sales cycle. Doesn't mean that it's not working. Doesn't mean that you're not having success. It just means that it's not quite visible yet. Mm. It could be an infrastructure problem. It could be that maybe the organization hasn't got the joined up technology stack between sales and marketing in the form of a shared CRM or suite of marketing sales tools that is allowing marketers to understand exactly what that through line looks like. So all of this is to say that when it comes to deciding on the metrics to measure, you always want to try and find a way to tie that to the wider business objectives. But as a marketer, I wouldn't beat myself up if I was unable to draw that direct through line from I do A in marketing and it results B in revenue, because it's not always that easy. Mm. There's just some companies that just aren't set up to offer that, at least where they are right now. And then as a marketer, you're faced with a question, which is, okay, well, what can I do now to create the opportunity to fix that, right? Let's say it's a CRM problem, sales using one tool, marketing using another. Okay, what can I do to maybe build a business case that I can present to my executive team to make them realize that we need to get on the same stack if we're going to truly understand the impact of marketing on the business. Mm. So yeah, when it comes down to metrics, always aim for what's going to contribute to the business goals, but operate in the realms of reality on what you can actually measure and demonstrate success to your business. Did that answer your question? It did. What are your thoughts then on things like MQLs? If I think about what a lot of organizations probably still do, but certainly years gone by, it was the Bible, if you like. You stick up a landing page, you gate a piece of content, and then that is either contributing to an MQL or is an MQL in itself. What are your thoughts on MQLs? What are your thoughts on gating content? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I had a really fascinating chat with a marketing friend of mine a couple of days ago about MQLs and their value in marketing reporting. What we were talking about was MQLs, marketing qualified leads, have got a little bit of a bad rap because they are now perceived to be a mechanism of wasted time. Marketing optimized their strategy to bring in a bunch of marketing qualified leads that are ultimately handed over to sales and only 0.2% of them actually are relevant to sales after that function has gone out and chased them up. Mm. And that is a huge waste of time, right? But I would argue that it's more of a definition problem than it is MQLs inherently being not valuable. If you look at MQLs more as a trigger of capturing the information of a contact that can be entered into a long-term nurture sequence that has minimal sales pressure in that they're not being chased up by sales every week just because they've downloaded a white paper, then what's wrong with that? Mm. That's what we should be doing as marketers. We should be trying to create direct long-term connections with our potential clients, be they ready to buy now or ready to buy in the future. So with that comes the understanding that if you generate MQLs, they shouldn't be approached by a salesperson until they've demonstrated 
that high level of intent. They've clicked the talk to sales button on your website, mm. but they're still you know, a marketing qualified lead. They may not be ready to buy now, but we've identified them as a potential customer at some point in the future. And as marketing, now that we have their details, we're committing to serving them with consistent long-term value until they do put their hand up. You know, what's wrong with that? Mm. If that means gating content, then there's a balance. I don't think it's binary. I don't think you gate all your content or you don't gate anything, but people do submit their details. If it's valuable enough, people will submit their details. And if that gets them in your database so that you can serve them that value over the long term and that when they put their hand up, you can then introduce them to sales, I'm all for that. And maybe it's just a naming problem. Maybe you stop calling them marketing qualified leads and you just call them members of our audience or something like that. And it just feels nicer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they get a bad rep, certainly in America. You hear a lot of the noise from over there about this, not anti-MQL, but they talk a lot about it over there because... You know, I imagine compared to the UK, there's a hell of a lot more money swilling around in terms of VC stuff. And typically, if you've got a chunk of VC money, you've got to bring stuff in to show to people, you know, we need to be hitting MQLs, we need to be hitting SQLs. And these venture funded businesses are essentially buying them. And I think that's where it sort of falls down in terms of the sort of rhetoric there. But let's say we had a scenario then where somebody's trying to get something off the ground quickly. Maybe they're working for a company that doesn't have a massive brand or presence already then. What sort of specific marketing plays would you suggest then in that sort of scenario? I think if you're going into that kind of scenario, it's with a couple of assumptions. One, that you are a solo marketer or perhaps even a founder-led marketing team. Your resources and your budget are tight. And like you say, you need to get something moving. In that situation, my first thought would probably be to turn to employee advocacy. How can I leverage the expert colleagues I have within my business in order to reach our target audience? When you're starting out a new company, your brand presence is going to be low. People aren't going to be following you on social media necessarily or engaging with your content. But the people within your company that have got personal social media accounts they will be connecting with their wider network. And there's research out there to suggest that no matter what size your business is, the kind of ratio of brand audience versus collective employee audience is one to 10. For every one person that you've got following you, your collective employee network will have 10 following them. Mm. And that's also, you know, understanding the fact that people buy from people, right? It's difficult sometimes for a brand to cut through and actually resonate with an individual buyer versus an actual person. This is something that I've run experiments with in my career. For instance, I ran a campaign where very low lift in terms of effort for both me and my colleagues, but we recorded 15-minute video interviews talking about the hot-button trends of the day. I cut those video clips up into 60-second snippets, threw on some subtitles and a kind of a title on top, and then we published them out across the individual's social media profiles over the course of a month. And what was fascinating was that despite those individuals having only one-fifth of the size of the audience than what we had on our brand account, the engagement was 200% more than the same kind of videos being posted across the brand account. Bottom line, I think if you're going into a startup and you need to get something going quickly and you haven't really got an existing marketing machine... I would 100% turn to employee advocacy, empowering your colleagues to either create content or contribute to the creation of content that is then shared across their personal profiles, subject to them wanting to do that. You can't force them. Indeed. And that's sort of leaning on that sort of thought leadership piece, isn't it, really? Talking about the problems, the challenges, the industry itself, rather than 
hey, look at my product, come and buy it sort of thing. So a lot less salesy. And obviously, it's a lot easier to sort of amplify and repurpose that content, which is what you were talking about there too. Now, I know that a lot of standalone marketeers and small marketing teams are limited by time then. How would you go about deciding whether or not you should execute something versus bringing on you know, an agency to help you or a freelancer to help you then? My ethos on all of this is you should outsource as much of the execution as you possibly can. I would rather have three or four people in a startup marketing team in-house that are almost acting as the brain of our marketing strategy. And they're sending out the neural signals to the rest of the body in the form of freelancers and agencies in order to get us to take the next step forward. That was a good analogy. I just came up with that. So, so I was thinking of the matrix then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The more you can outsource, the faster you can scale. Mm. And if you do hit a period of peak growth, you don't want to be in a position where suddenly you're then having to almost build the playbooks and the infrastructure that is going to allow you to go out there and work quickly with an agency or a freelancer or whatever in order to get a deliverable. Mm. So my opinion of it is, is that keep the strategic thinking and brand guardianship within the organization as an in-house team, mm. but then outsource as much of that execution as possible. You should almost be thinking of yourself as like the chef on the pass, right? You've got all these other chefs in the back the sous chef, the pastry chef, whoever, they're like pulling the whole dish together based on your recipes. Mm. And then they're serving you the plate and you're just putting the final garnish on it before then it gets sent out to the dining room. That's how I think about it. Mm. You know, there's that term called the T-shaped marketer, which you often find that a lot of marketeers in this sort of role typically are. So often what I see is that depending on their sort of skills as an individual, the depth that they've got then, sometimes they find they'll execute on that sort of stuff. So maybe if they've come from, say, content marketing, they can start to build out the keyword research, the SEO stuff, then maybe even the writing, but then start to outsource things like paid and all that kind of stuff, the stuff they perhaps don't have as much depth on. But yeah, you can't do everything yourself. That's right. What about from a tools perspective? I mean, a lot of people sort of talk about marketing tools, MarTech and all that kind of stuff. What would you suggest for a more marketing team? What's the sort of best stack that they can go with? I have experimented with building a custom stack of a dozen or so tools that each were kind of specialist in their particular problem they were trying to solve. So, you know, maybe using MailChimp for email marketing, using Hootsuite for social media management, using Unbounce for landing page creation. And again, I think back to your previous question about there's only so many hours in the day. I mean, the same applies to the toolkit in a startup environment. If you're trying to build almost a Frankenstein of a marketing stack, if one chain breaks, pretty much all of the chains break at that point. Mm -hmm. And then you're stuck in a situation where you're under the gun to deliver a result, but you're getting bogged down in the technicalities of just trying to make things work. And if you don't have the budget and the internal infrastructure to support the solving of those kind of problems quickly, I would, with hard-won experience, highly recommend you take out just a all-in-one tool that maybe is a little bit more generalist, but will just give you a strong base foundation in order to start validating some of your hypotheses, building your credibility internally, and getting some wins on the board. And HubSpot, for me, has been that tool. We went from a period of having a dozen or so different tools to just consolidating everything into HubSpot. And it's just so, so powerful in terms of understanding exactly how a customer is engaging 
with every single marketing touch point that you're putting out there into the world. It hasn't got a single point of failure. It's all joined up very nicely. And the customer support is phenomenal, in my opinion. I'm not being paid by HubSpot to say all of this, by the way. <laughs> in terms of just the execution of marketing, I would 100% recommend HubSpot as a tool. And then when it comes to things like project management and planning, I'm a big fan of ClickUp, which is kind of similar to tools like you know, Trello or Asana or other things like that. I just find it super flexible. It serves almost every use case I can throw at it as a marketer. I use it both in my day job and I use it in my personal life to manage all of the kind of creation of B2B better and B2B buy content. I'm toying with the idea of getting my wife on it so we can kind of manage our household on ClickUp. But if you're looking for a project management solution, I would highly recommend ClickUp. Most of it's free, which is astounding. I don't know if that will always be the case. Mm. But for now, at least, those are my go-to tools, HubSpot and ClickUp. I use Trello for a lot of my sort of project management stuff, but I've heard some good things about ClickUp too. What about sort of growing things then? If we're sort of moving on to, you know, we're finding some success with the marketing stuff that we're doing, we want to scale, we want to invest a bit more, I guess the attention moves to should we hire somebody else in the marketing team then? I'm somewhat biased being a marketer, but I just feel like there should be someone there from day one because I think a lot of the marketing problems that come up in scale-up organizations are there because there was no one almost there at the start to build that foundational marketing infrastructure, be that the toolkit that both the sales and marketing team are using to win new leads or win new business, whether that's a messaging problem or building some momentum around a particular channel. Obviously, that's not going to be an option for every organization, but I would just suggest for any founders listening to this, as soon as you can get someone in responsible for marketing, a generalist, someone not from Fang, not someone from Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, or Google, who's used to having a behemoth of an infrastructure beneath them to execute and has never actually, or maybe has not for a long time actually done the execution, mm. I would bring them in as quickly as you possibly can. And as I say, you want someone who's a generalist. You know, you mentioned T-shaped marketer before. It's always good to have someone who can do a lot of different stuff but has an area of expertise in something particular that you as a founder think will resonate with your target market. But yeah, you want to get someone in as quickly as you possibly can and who can do as much as they possibly can. Hmm. And what about from scaling from there? How long should it be or what signals would you be looking for for that marketeer then to hire somebody into their team? Is there any sort of formula for that? I can't think of a formula so much. I just think you know, right? It could be a time pressure. It could be just that at a point of you find yourself working more hours than you feel there are in the day. That could prompt you to look at either bringing someone else internally or looking for external help. Mm. It could be a investment pressure. We've just raised a series A. We've got investors who are now looking for results. The only way we're going to do that is if we scale our team. Those are just two examples of pressures that could prompt the second person that I'd probably aim to bring in would be what I'd class as just a doer. Mm. Someone who can come up with their own ideas, who can work autonomously, but is more hands-on than you're striving to be as the VP of marketing. Someone you can hand over a project to and mm. who can then go out and just make it happen. So you end up in a situation where you've got one person as the thinker, so to speak, and one as the doer. Mm. And I think actually in today's market, those people are very hard to find. Lots of companies want the doers yes. more so than the thinkers, it seems. Final question then. The theory is good, isn't it? But where does it typically go wrong then? What are some of the traps that marketers can fall into in this sort of scenario? 
there's so many <laughs> there's so many things that can go wrong what i'm learning more and more as i grow as a marketing professional is being deliberate and intentional around what it is that you're trying to achieve and this goes right back to the very beginning of our conversation where we were talking about you know where do you start you can go in 100 different directions as an early stage marketer in terms of where you're putting your focus and you ultimately need to choose something even if that idea ultimately doesn't pan out the way you intended it to, you need to focus on something. But if you don't set that end goal, that end objective, that point in time where you can look back and you can say, this was either a success or a failure, based on what we said right at the very beginning, we were measuring to determine that. Mm. That's what you really need to do. Far too many times I have charged headfirst into a new initiative thinking, oh yeah, this is how we'll measure success. And you know, this is what we're trying to achieve. And it's just been fluff. Mm. We want people feeling that we're the right company for them. It's like, okay, but what are you doing to measure that feeling? That's very, very subjective for even me, the one saying that to be able to analyze. So be deliberate, be intentional around what it is you're trying to achieve, not just within your team, but also with your superiors in the executive team as well. Because I'm sure we've all worked with CEOs who want to be known by every possible person on the planet. And, you know, that's just not achievable. And you got to kind of quash that stuff when you're being intentional about your target right at the get-go. Yeah, we just want to be like HubSpot, the CEO says. Create a blog like HubSpot. I just want HubSpot sort of traffic. And I like the point that you made in terms of the sort of fundamental product marketing aspects. I think in terms of the sort of short-term output, it's tempting to sort of skip that bit and move straight into sort of getting stuff out the door. Certainly from my perspective, I'm sort of learning more that it's consistency as well. So there's fundamentals in place and it's all good and well starting something new and a new tactic and a new idea and all those sort of things. But you do need some consistency on these things because they generally take a bit of time to gain traction. Well, look, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you, Jason. For the people that don't know you, what's the best way of them getting hold of you? You can reach out to me on Twitter at Jason R. Bradwell. On my profile are links to my newsletter, the B2B Byte, which goes out every Monday. And also you can check out my podcast, B2B Better, with new episodes published every Thursday. Superb, Jason. You're a superstar. Appreciate it, Matt. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.